Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, For more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Happy Wednesday. Today is July 6, 2016. I'm Michelle Pache, filling in for Jeannie, and I'm here today with Dr. Michael Rice. We warmly welcome you to the show and thank you for choosing to be with us. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1 and that puts you in the queue to talk with our host. We encourage you to call in with your comments or questions, allowing you to actively strengthen and deepen your practice. So now let's welcome Michael in support of developing our inner process of Aramaic forgiveness. Well, thank you, young lady. Thank you once again for being available to assist us by taking care of the switchboard. Well, Jeannie is getting things done here in Bristol, getting ready to fly tomorrow. So we're honored that everybody who chooses to join us joins us every day that you do as we look at how this thing called the human mind works, what our place is in the universe and in general, a set of tools for bringing one into deeper and deeper awareness of human life. Today, I'd like to focus on a word that I think has probably been, because of its effect, one of the most destructive words ever introduced to humanity, the most misused idea, perhaps the most misused, maybe there are others, I haven't thought that one all the way through, but it's got to be pretty close to the top of the list, and the most misunderstood, misinterpreted idea. And the word is, ta-da, drumroll, because. I was listening to a, uh, a host on another spiritually oriented show this morning, one that I do an interview on occasionally. And they were talking about the reason that their marriage broke up was because. And then they went into a whole conversation about their spouse. You can just about be assured that if you're using the word because to describe the reason you're doing something, you're probably not talking about yourself. You're probably talking about someone else. And that's our definition, remember, of denial. Whenever I think or speak 
as though something inside of me is the cause of something that, pardon me, whenever I speak or think that something outside of me is the cause of something that's happening inside of me, I'm living in denial. And the disastrous effect of living in denial is that whenever I do that, whenever I think or speak, you know, I'm angry because my spouse did this. I'm angry because Charlie did that. I'm angry because Bill didn't do this. I'm angry because, 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 because I'm in denial. And the absolutely disastrous effect of denial is that when we're there, we are cut off from true cause. And being cut off from true cause leaves us in the why is this happening to me again experience. So pretty much any time you hear somebody saying, I'm this because, and then they're referring to something outside themselves, they're in denial and they're setting themselves up for repeated experiences of the same thing. Well, Michael, why would that be? Because whenever I'm in denial, I have to hide the cause of what's going on in my life from myself because the cause is always inside of me. Cause, be cause. Remember that you be cause of everything that happens in your life. You're a creator. But if you tell something else it be cause in your life, then you're stuck in hiding from yourself. You have to dissociate from a part of your own mind in order to play that game that something outside of you has influenced you so much that it's the reason that you're operating in a way other than what you'd like to operate. So recognize that real conversation about cause, if someone is in disturbance or upset, is going to be conversation about self. Gee, I found myself in such sadness, or I found myself in such rage, and I realized that I was in that rage or that sadness or that fear because some rage or sadness or fear was moving in me. And I'm not in sadness or rage because you weren't ready to do this, you weren't ready to do that, it's your fault that I left, it's all about you. No, my behavior, my experiences, my creative process is all about me. So when I hook cause up incorrectly, when I hook cause up as though something outside of me is a cause of something inside of me, you know, a situation, say, for instance, in relationship, as this conversation was about this morning, was all about this individual healing her leaving issue. It wasn't about somebody else, her spouse, and what he didn't want or he wasn't ready for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's all a conversation that leaves one cut off from cause. So it's a game that costs people fortunes. And, and I recognize that if I'm in an experience of disturbance or upset, I better find a way to climb down into my own mind 
and climb down into my own process instead of be stuck in a conversation about something or somebody else. You know, it's been pretty well established in the world of psychology, pretty well accepted fact that probably 90 to 95%, even more, of our mental processes, those things that drive our behavior, are unconscious. If I don't climb down into my own unconscious, or what in the ancient scriptures was called the heart, you you listen to Yeshua, and he gives the same piece of information. We're talking Aramaic concepts here. He says, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life. In essence, he's giving exactly the same piece of advice as I've just been sharing with you. That's where all of this comes from, is his genius. Now, we couldn't translate that word heart until just the last few decades in the West because there was no such concept as the unconscious. But he's saying, take care of your own internal dynamic, your own internal process, your own unconscious dynamics, for out of that are the issues in life. And if you're in pain, if you're in disturbance, if you're in upset, then remove from your unconscious the root of your pain, disturbance, or upset. Because if you live in denial, you'll make up a whole picture world where you take your pain, your disturbance, your upset, and you'll make pictures of other people and believe that other people are the problem in your life. So he says, you must forgive from your heart. He's saying, you've got to climb down into your own unconscious processes, your own hidden mental processes, and remove what you put into your brain's image of another. And when you do, you'll be free of the why is this happening to me again experience. You will more and more move toward conscious awareness, becoming conscious of, how it is that you create your life, how it is that the issues that show up in your life are yours, and that if you live in denial, again, if you think or speak as though someone outside of you is the cause of something inside of you, you become aware that this is your creation and there's something in you that needs to change, that it is our a participatory world. You say, well, but Michael, you know, such and such really did think that way, feel that way, act that way. It's like, okay, great. I I agree with you. I saw them. I agree with you. They thought that way. They, They acted that way. Totally, completely agree. But that's not the cause of what's going on inside of you and why you did what you did. The cause of what's going on inside of you or what you did and what you did is because of what's going on inside of you. It's all an inside job. So when I actually take care of my own heart, when I actually forgive from my heart that which I've constructed images of other people out of, then I get free of that. And I get to heal the major issues in my life instead of telling everybody how I'm only doing this because of what you said, of what you did. No, everything I do, I do because that's what's going on inside of me. Are there people a factor in all of that? Of course, absolutely. But nothing outside of you is ever cause. And when I become aware of that, when I let myself climb down, in the, and, and in my awareness, I'll just offer that, and why I've dedicated my life to teaching it, there is no other tool that empowers people to climb down into their own unconscious dynamics that even comes close to matching 
21st century Aramaic forgiveness. The forgiveness tool, if you've used it, you will notice that the minute you trigger the core of the forgiveness process, you'll notice that all of a sudden your mind stops focusing on what it's been focused on, its perception collapses, and all of a sudden you find yourself aware of something else. Oh, gee, I just remembered what happened to me when I was five. Oh, I just remembered what that, oh, that's what that was about. It's such an awesome, awesome tool. And I certainly understand why it has been disappeared on the planet, because if somebody's in disturbance or upset and able to rationalize and blame everybody else for it, if you start handing them something that always takes responsibility back to themselves, it's not necessarily Dr. Feelgood, because you've got to start to face what's going on inside of you. So we're here to support and to learn ourselves, you know, I, I, I'm not saying I know of anybody perfect at doing this process, including me. And so it's the learning curve. It's the learning process of what do I need to undo inside of me to change this creation, to change this circumstance, and especially to change my perception of it. And remember that perception is a construct of the mind. Perception is always a construct of the mind perceiving. Ten, a hundred, a thousand people stand around an event and everybody's going to have an individual construct of their own, a perception of the event. If the perception of the event contains any form of hostility or fear, then the perception will be in error and give this person poor guidance toward choices or decisions that will not support them or serve them. When I engage in forgiveness, and if you haven't engaged that tool as yet, we invite you to go to our website, www.whyagain.org. In the upper left-hand corner of the the page, you'll see the, the opening words of the page say, start here, starting point, click there. It'll open a whole series of links. Here's how you engage in the forgiveness process. If you look over to the right of the page, you will see that there are several media links. The bottom one is a link to our YouTube channel. It's a red and white square. If you click on that, it will take you to our YouTube channel. And there are two videos in particular that I suggest that you watch. And I'll just offer that the, the videos, the first one I'm going to suggest I created, and I still watch it, and I get deeper understanding out of it. The second one was about a year of interactive work with Bill Costantino, who created a video based on my 30 years of study with the first century Aramaic forgiveness process. I watch it, and I still learn. So, you can watch it over and over and over again. And each time, you will be able to construct a different perception of what you've seen. Because each time you watch it, you will build new brain cells for understanding the process. You know, Yeshua 2,000 years ago said, in order to you know, be able to use the, what he was teaching, he said, you've got to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. 
I think we're fairly safe in assuming that most everybody in his audience had what we call eyes and ears. So he wasn't talking about that. He was saying you've got to have the brain cells. Someone with the brain cells for everybody else is to blame. It's their fault. Boy, the world should just go away. It's so nasty. It's the problem in my life. And it was my children or my parents or my spouse or my neighbor or my ex or my former or my future or my past or whatever. If that's the brainwash they're stuck with, it's going to take watching that type of information, building the brain cells in a powerful enough way that your mind will be able to construct a reality that's consistent with truth rather than a reality, a perception that's based in a lie. Unless you think I'm teaching something from somewhere out in space, Let's look at the CIA website. There's a book on the CIA website where they've spent who knows how many millions or I have no idea how much they spent researching perception. Quote, here's what they say. The mind does not record reality. The mind constructs reality. Your mind constructs your reality. My mind constructs my reality. If my reality contains any form of hostility or fear toward you, myself, or anybody else, I don't need to know anything else about the circumstance. I can stop my conversation about the circumstance, and I can rest assured that my reality is carrying a signal in it that my reality, my perception, is in error. I need to collapse the error to even start to get the truth, and that's what first century Aramaic forgiveness does. The importance of the tool is beyond what I can even start to fathom or state to anyone. We invite you to take it, use it, build the brain cells, and watch what happens. Life changes. It's pretty awesome. And so that's our starting point for today, and I'm going to see if Dr. Tim is with us and see how Dr. Tim is doing, what he has to share. I know there was a uh, support group last night. Let's see what's happening for Dr. Tim. Are you with us, young man? I'm here. I'm here, and we had a a lovely group last night. We had eight people plus me, and um, we watched the 39-minute presentation of What is the World, How to Forgive, that you recorded earlier You know, I started to talk about that, and I I got so involved in talking about it, I didn't tell people that was the title of it, so thank you for that. And and um, that was recorded earlier this year, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Or was that the end yes, of 2015? Yeah, we recorded. We created that in uh, Henderson, North Carolina. In uh, let's see, it was the end of 2015. So it's it's one of our most recent published videos. Yeah, and one of the people when when it was over and. Um, um, what's the woman's name who comes to the podium after that, Miss McGinnis or McGinn? Right, right. The minister at, um, let's see, the name of the center is um, the Namaste Center in Henderson, North Carolina. So one of the people in our support group just almost exploded with excitement when she saw her walk to the podium and she said, oh, my gosh. So last year or a couple of years ago, I forget which, she was 
She went there. She met that woman. Her maiden name is McGinn, and she got, you know, some insight and healing and whatever it was. She was just so excited. She couldn't believe the small world aspect of that. And so um, then we had discussion about the video and about the whole process of trying to monitor what's going on inside of us and reaching our own decisions rather than looking to outside experts for that. And then somebody did a worksheet, and it was, as usual in in our support group, uh, the energy that people bring, the loving energy, the supportive energy, really facilitates some deep work. And um, this this person did uh, a worksheet and went from a level 8 frustration to the end of the worksheet, a level 3, and clearly her energy shifted dramatically. And she saw, you know, she she had come to mind some things that happened when she was in seventh grade that could be directly related to the pattern she's living out in her life today. And uh, that's blocking her from receiving um, money, receiving abundance, you know, getting paid for her services or whatever. And she was able to see very clearly that some of the tap roots of that go back into seventh grade for her. So, so it was lovely, a wonderful group, and um, you know, just a, a blessing to be on the team and be able to share these tools with people. Just a blessing. Cool, Tim. I haven't had the opportunity yet to share that video with the group and have a discussion on it. I would love a little bit of insight on the direction from that specific video that the discussion goes. Well, we've done it twice now, and it's gone in different directions both times. I mean, it's really what's up for the group. And last night we had a couple of people asking about – how do they, you know, I think whatever discussion happens after the video, it's sparked by the video, even if it's not directly related to that. But this had to do with um, people um, knowing when they were in their truth and integrity or out of their truth and integrity. And part of the point I tried to make several times was that, you ask inside and you read how you're feeling and you get better and better at tuning into what you're feeling and how you hide things from yourself and that it's better to get quiet and ask and listen for that still small voice than it is to ask an outside expert, get their answer, and then try and apply that answer in your life. And the way I was relating it to the video is that I can create all kinds of false perceptions if I'm following a guru and the guru says this is the way it has to be done and this is what you should do in this situation or that situation, then when I get into that situation, I can be creating from my goal to follow what the guru recommended I can be creating a very false perception and therefore 
exclude myself from the presence of love or the awareness of the presence of love and act in a way that I later regret. So it was all about, you know, trying to get people to either tune into the alarm system of the upset and then cancel the goals or be more aware of the goals they carry into a situation and try to opt more for direct observation than the fulfillment of goals. Cool. Awesome. Well, you know, you talk about, and when I spoke earlier about the, the core of the forgiveness process and how it takes us to out of current perception into what underlies the hidden parts of the mind, there is a uh, a quote from Carl Jung, which just disappeared from my screen as I'm getting ready to read it. Give me a second here. Let me see if my computer will unjam itself and bring us back. Computers are so great when they work, aren't they? And give one so many opportunities to learn forgiveness. Here it is. <laughs> so Carl Jung says this. And, you know, you mentioned this girl when she did her forgiveness process, she touched into some things that went back to the age of seven. And see, somebody's phoning in on my phone and dropping in front of my screen here. So let me back off of that. So Carl Young gives us a, a clue into why it's so important to drop into those earlier states of mind and does this, I mean, there's so many things this man said. I would have, I would have loved to have gone and sat at the feet of Carl Jung for five years and just been in the process he was opening for himself and for people. But he says, the little world of childhood with its familiar surroundings is a model of the greater world. The more intensively the family has stamped its character upon the child, the more that child will tend to feel and see its earlier miniature world again in the bigger world of adult life. Naturally, this is not a conscious intellectual process. I mean, that just says so much so succinctly and of course it's a key to the why is this happening to me again experience that so many people live their whole lives out of and never realizing that um, you know there's a different game that can be played in the game that's the most productive one on the planet it's called forgiveness definitely uh Awesome to have that piece of understanding. Well, anything in the way of um, patterns you're seeing to share with us today that might benefit people to hear about? Or, well, I, the thing that's happened twice today is that I've been meeting with people who have been in very unhealthy patterns in a relationship, very abusive relationships verbally and physically and sexually abusive relationships and stayed for the, the last person I met with was married 
for 15 years to someone that was very, very abusive. And so the, you know, the idea of our conversation was now when he wants to get into another relationship, what would he need to do to have a chance of a healthy, respectful, loving relationship? And so we talked about, you know, personal code. We talked about the potential to have old traumatic energy that may need to be worked on and released. We talked about the commitment as a tool. And, um, you know, I... Harville Hendricks wrote a book that has um, the title is Getting the Love You Want. And in it, there are at least two things that are very, very similar to Dr. Michael Rice's work. One of them is he has what he calls the Imago Dialogue, which is very close to the um, responsibility communication tool. And the other uh, piece that he has is he has people talk about and and really work on defining their relationship and create a relationship vision and then negotiate i mean each of them separate separately write about what they want their relationship to be and what their top priorities are and then they get together and negotiate a final agreed-upon relationship vision list, and then they read that to each other regularly, which is similar, if they're doing it properly, it comes out to be similar to the commitment, which then can be used daily to remind people and keep top of mind how they want to be treated and how they want to treat their partner in relationship. So we were talking about whether they want to use Michael Rice's tools or Harville Hendricks tools that to increase the probability or the possibility of having a healthy, loving relationship after having come from years of something far less than that, it's going to take a lot of work and that it's worth it. And it, it can, you know, if they're actually applying the tools, it can make a huge difference in their lives and that if they don't apply the tools, they can expect more of what they already had. So that's been the theme for today. Cool. Definitely insightful for people to uh, to get that. And, and for those of us who've said it and heard it, to hear it over and over again. Because, it's, uh, you know, when you start realizing that... Uh, any one of us in just a short 30 generations has over 1.7 billion lives within our genes, there's definitely a, uh, a cleanup job to be done. And uh, the reminders, the, the openings are just monumental when we engage in them regularly. And it does take conscious, consistent, persistent effort to do that. Well, let's check in with Michelle and see if there is anybody with a hand up in the phone queue or anybody in the chat room that has something to share with us or anything Michelle has to share. Hi, Michael. Um, we have 
chat room was quiet, a couple of people with their hands up. But as you were um, giving your intro, it reminded me of something that happened like, maybe this is like a year into using the tools. And I was, um, right. you know, in a conversation with my husband, and he was um, misperceiving, in my experience, you know, a dynamic between us. And I texted back something to him. And actually, it was a rather neutral comment because, um, you know, I could see that he didn't have the brain cells. He didn't understand some of the concepts that I was learning related to perception and, you know, was in that process of blaming. And so my text was something like um, along the lines of, you know, you don't have the brain cells to understand. And so that comment has shot him over the moon because he took it as the most um, offensive insult, as if saying, like, you know, you're retarded. You don't have any brain cells. Because, you know. I understand that one. And so it is. it was um, so ironic, you know, that he, instead of me explaining, uh, you know, developing brain cells, he was offended. And so we've come a long way. Yeah, in the middle of a conflict, it's probably not the best time to remind someone that they just don't have the brain cells to understand what you understand. I I can certainly hear, you know, at least through my brain cells, how that would be a comment from someone who was trying to prove they were superior to me and would probably been times in my life where that could have led to some very, uh, shall I say, heated discussion, to say the least. (laughs) So I understand Mm -hmm. That, that's why I, I prefaced it with, with, you know, earlier in my learning, because you're right. I don't know that that was the smartest attempt to try to um, bring them alongside me related to um, forgiveness work. So um, more role modeling, I think, is helpful. And um, now he calls it the, per, the um, power personality. So we're, we're getting better. Cool. Sweet. But, um, let's go with the first caller, Nicole. Um, this is area code 616. You're now on the air. Who do we have? Area code 616. Give us oh, a name. Where are you calling from? Michael, I, I said 616 in Grand Rapids. It's 618. My brain cells saw six. Okay, and speaking of that, before we actually do invite our caller to speak, uh, I, I understand that you and Jeannie are talking about perhaps doing a uh, Healing the Whole Woman workshop maybe in October. That would be cool. I am wooing her. I am um, thinking about this idea from the first time that I went down to Pompano in uh, November of 13 to, you know, invite a northern contingency to, to have a space where people together that has um, facilities and accommodations to, yeah, have another workshop. And so I presented the idea today, and we'll see what the universe does with it. That would be cool. That would be awesome. And it would fit very well with the conversation that we're having with Bill Costantino about perhaps in 2017 doing a full-blown intensive or two up in the Michigan uh, area. So, so that would be cool to see how that comes together. I'll look forward to uh, to seeing how it develops. So let's say hello to our caller, area code 618. Give us a name. Where are you calling from? You're on the air, 618. Are you with us? 
I am with you. This is real. <laughs> I've been severely new challenged today. All right. I understand that one. I've done that a time for myself. <laughs> okay. Well, I was calling because today's Wednesday. I didn't know if we were going to go on with the same thing as Recovery Wednesday. But I have some things to offer along the lines of looking at relationships, and then I was going to ask a question. (laughs) Great. Well, thank Um, you for bringing that reminder forward because I'm on the road not doing workshops, and so telling one day from the other is not easy, and I had totally dropped the idea that today was Recovery Wednesday. So thank you for that reminder. You are very welcome. Um. Cool, anyway, so I would have hit, <laughs> hit one anyway um, because I'm um, experiencing a bit of a funk after um, the episode with my dad going into the emergency room that set, tend to set me into a tailspin. Um, but before I get into okay. that um, and ask my question, um, I'm going to read a little bit out of um, 12 and 12, which is a piece of AA literature and that goes into um, it ties into what you're talking about using the word because and um, and I had always thought about that I always wondered if that was an excuse or a way to explain anything and and I think your intro was perfect with that Ken is um, continue to take personal inventory and when we we're wrong promptly admitted it and what it says in this particular little book it talks about the spiritual axiom. It says it is a spiritual axiom that every time we are disturbed, no matter what the cause, there is something wrong with us. If somebody hurts us or we are sore, we are in the wrong also. But are there no exceptions to this rule? What about justifiable anger? If somebody cheats us, aren't we entitled to be mad? Can't we be properly anger, angry with right? Ugh. Can't we be properly angry with self-righteous folks? For us of AA, these are dangerous exceptions. We have found that justified anger ought to be left to those better qualified to handle it. And then it says, few people have been more victimized by resentments than we alcoholics. It mattered little whether our resentments were justified or not. A burst of temper could spoil a day. A well-nursed grudge could make us miserable and ineffective nor were we ever skillful in separating justified from unjustified anger. As we saw it, our wrath was always justified. Anger, that, oca- that occasional luxury of more balanced people, could, be, could keep us in an emotional jag indefinitely. These emotional dry benders often led straight to the bottle. Other kinds of disturbances, jealousy, envy, self-pity, or hurt pride did the same. So I wanted to share that with you. Well, that says a mouthful. A couple couple (laughs) of thoughts on that. I don't know of anyone who is well qualified to handle anger. And anyone who would be well qualified to handle anger, I would offer, never touch the stuff because it's as bad as the most addictive drug or alcohol that one can find. It's just another drug. There is, I would offer, no such thing as justified anger. And If we take our rage out on someone, do they deserve it? Well, I've seen circumstances where 
in the way the world thinks, certainly what they did was so egregious, they absolutely deserve all the rage that we could pour on them. However, when I realize that I first have to fill the vehicle of my own form with rage in order to pour it on somebody else, the real question is, do I deserve my rage? And, you know, the, the whole game that we've been bred into is one where punishment is the only answer. And my offering is that punishment is insane. There has never been anyone who's deserved punishment for anything they have ever done. I was you know, with some family members yesterday, and one of the family members who has had some pretty heavy-duty things happen in their lives, you know, was sitting at the table and we're talking about, you know, some of the spankings that they got. And, and this young man's response was, well, you know, I realize now that I never got a whipping that I didn't deserve. And I really deserved it and it did me good. And I'd offer, there's never been a whipping that's done any child any good whatsoever. And there has never been a child born into the world that has deserved to have an adult hand raised toward them for any reason whatsoever. That's all errant thinking and leads to deeper and deeper levels of insanity. Are there children who need correction? Absolutely. Are there people who need to be put behind prison bars? Absolutely. If they're not safe in the community, if they don't function as same human beings, they need to be put behind bars for their safety and the safety of the community, not to punish them. And if we could get rid of the whole punishment system, the whole penal system, and start to recognize that if someone is off the mark with their, their energy and their behavior, and off the mark is the definition from the Aramaic of the word sin, First of all, that person isn't wrong. I would, I would do a little edit on that book if I were uh, involved in that uh, 12 and 12 book, and I'd change that, to, that word wrong to off the mark. No, the alcoholic has never been wrong. Have they been off the mark? Yes. But wrong is a, a, a term that leaves one feeling that they're justified in punishing themselves or others. Have we ever, have we all been off the, off the mark? Absolutely. And when we're off the mark, what we need instead of punishment is discipline. And of course, the world's definition of discipline has become, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. If you look at the idea of the rod in the scriptures, it was something you leaned on for support. It was not something you beat little kids with. And you don't lean on something for support in order to be punished. You lean on something in order to come to correction. You know, if somebody's falling over, they have a rod to lean on to correct themselves, to bring themselves back upright. And the word discipline means properly taught. It comes from the root disciple. Properly taught, not properly beat up. So that whole thought system that has developed and become so deep a part of our culture is all based in a lack of human life and will always, always produce detestable results. The whole penal punishment, punitive, wrong, bad, evil, sinful, nasty, that whole game 
destroys lives. When I come to a correct definition of sin, which in Aramaic is an archery term, when I pulled back the bow and I let the arrow fly, if I did not hit the bull's eye was aiming at, then the scorekeeper would yell sin. It would mean I was off the mark. If I engage in an energy that's off the mark, I lower my intelligence, I lower my vitality, I lower my aliveness. And so when I'm off the mark, do I need to be disciplined? Do I need someone who has a mind high enough to understand my error and support me in coming back into alignment with the truth to properly teach me? Yes, that's what we need. And that's why for me, I always go back to the principles that Yeshua brought forward of Here's how the game works, because I haven't seen anyone, if his words are properly interpreted, that is able to disciple or discipline one better than Yeshua was able to. And so that, that whole game is just so bizarre and so folded into the culture that it seems like you couldn't have life without punishment and punitive and all of that. And my offering is... Yes, we could. And the child that has the most bizarre behavior is the child that has been hurt and damaged the most by the energetic patterns around them. And they replicate, as we were talking about with uh, that quote from Carl Jung, they replicate those childhood dynamics and the behaviors that they observed or were the, the, should I say, let's see, what's the word I want to use? I don't want to use the word victim, although it kind of borders on victimhood the patterns that they were subjected to, they will play out. And if they're off the mark, do they need correction, discipline, to be properly taught? Absolutely. We all need that. And so that would be my take on on those thoughts. Tim, do you have anything to share in that regard? Well, just that I would agree, and that I've noticed over the years that when people have tools, when they're taught and trained to focus on what they have control over and to send loving messages and focus on things they have control over to send consequences to people that even better results can be achieved than the results that were achieved with corporal punishment. I used to tell people, you know, anybody who's a parent and who has used spanking as a punishment or deterrent knows that just spanking a child because they did something that you don't like is no guarantee they won't do it again. And most of the time for children and families, spanking ends up being something that's tried, something that has either moderate to limited success, and then eventually something else takes its place. Because as the child gets big enough, most reasonable, most reasonable people realize I can't keep hitting this person. And, and yet there are still things that happen where the person is off the mark and they have to offer correction. So they find a, a way to offer correction differently when the child is older. It's possible to find those same ways to offer correction that are more loving and supportive when the child is younger. That would be my offer. I certainly agree with you on that one. Right on track. 
if my uh, computer here would cooperate with me, and for some reason it's running slow and not switching screens as it's designed to. Give me a second here for it to catch up with me. Well, it's not moving, but I was going to read another of Carl Jung's quote. And what he says is, if there is something that you see in a child that you think needs to be corrected in the child, you might better look and see if that issue would be better corrected within yourself. The man was a genius. That, that sounds like a so how does all that fit for you? Go ahead. I said that sounds like a codependency worksheet. Absolutely. Mike, we have a couple other hands up to join the conversation. Well, I think that um, Gail had a question for us that we haven't arrived at yet. Maybe we answered it. I don't know, but she's. Can we get your question, Gail? Um, certainly. Um, the other thing that I was going to mention was that um, we do something very similar that what Tim was talking about about when you get out of a relationship, what do you want to do differently um, in the inventory process? Um, what is looked at as resentment, sex conduct, um, fears, and harms done to others. And what happens in the sex inventory is um, basically looking at our patterns of behavior in the relationship. Um, during the resentment part of the inventory is that um, we write down what they did to us. And then when we look at sex inventory, we look at our relationships and what we did to them. And then we ask ourselves what was affected, and that was would be self-esteem, pride, emotional security, pocketbook ambitions, or personal relations, or sex relations. And then we look at, we turn it back on us and look at, look at those patterns. And usually it boils down to um, power person dynamics and stuff. But the other thing that we do when we're looking at that is we write down our ideals of what a relationship might look at, look like. And we write down, well, we want somebody to be loyal. We want somebody to be honest. We want somebody to be fair. We want somebody to be self-supporting through their own contributions or whatever you would want in a relationship. And what ended up happening to me, I felt like I was tricked. Um, when I did this for the first time, then my sponsor turned around and said, if you want these things in somebody else, you need to become these. And so what what do you want? You know, how, how are you going to become this? So very similar to um, what you and Tim were talking about earlier about changing before you get into another relationship or looking at what another relationship looks like. Um, and I'm going to throw my question in there real quick, um, too. Um, I w- wanted to see what you had to say about going unconscious. Um, I have noticed that since I received that phone call about my dad going into the emergency room, that one of my um, one of my survival mechanisms was one of my survival skills, and I've I've traced this back. I haven't looked at it before. Has been sleep or going unconscious, and um, and so I've been sleeping a lot. And that's something, if I couldn't get a hold of alcohol or drugs, or after I got sober, my tendency would be to sleep. And so I just wanted to see what you, um, you know, what you thought about that. Or So I'll go on mute well, and, and listen. 
Cool. Well, two things. First of all, you know, there's awakened sleep, what people think of themselves as awake, but they're oblivious and unconscious to what's going on around them. And that happens when the mind is so filled, you know, let's refer back to the Harvard research. It says that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells fire, the max amount of information that gets into conscious awareness is nine bits. And so if we filled our conscious minds with one particular issue or circumstance or situation to the exclusion of everything else going on around us, then we're unconscious. So if something happens that, say, resonates a major issue where there's a lot of pain or turmoil or trauma from the past, then what that can tend to do is the processing of the pain or turmoil or trauma knocks us unconscious and we become oblivious to our surroundings. I mean, even to the point where, and, I, and I'm telling this story on myself, I walk out to the car to, to go off somewhere and I've walked out and left my keys in the, in the house because I'm unconscious. My brain is processing something else so that I lose awareness of what's around me. So that would be one form of unconsciousness. And then the other one is just, I want to sleep, I want to sleep, I want to sleep, which usually means there's something in me that I don't want to deal with. I think a better option to just, well, I'm going to go and sleep, is to take that time to process, to be conscious and process what it is that I'm avoiding in me that I don't want to look at, that I don't want to deal with. And as I'm willing to do my work, I can process through those things and become more and more conscious. But being aware there's only room for so much information, and it's minuscule in conscious awareness, best to stay conscious for sure. Does that address your thought, your question? That, that is perfect. Um, I was amazed that when I started to fall back into that behavior because I was doing, doing really well with it and staying on, on task and getting things done, um, that after this event, that, that just brought that back up for me and that became a, you know, a survival skill. And I knew that I wanted, needed to get to doing worksheets and, and breathing, but it, it just seemed easier to lean on going to sleep and sleeping. So, yeah, that, that is a perfect, perfect answer. So thank you very much. Right. Good time to stay awake, breathe, do your work. Cool. Well, we've got about six minutes, so let's bring those other conversations on board, uh, Michelle, and see what's happening. This is area code 808. You're now on the air. Yes, thank you. Um, Really, my contribution today is really just how grateful I feel to actually be able to connect to a same conversation on a regular basis. Um, And it's in contrast to the superficial, unreal conversations that we normally engage in in uh, the uh, outside world. So I just feel so much gratitude for all of you, for you, Michael, and for Dr. Tim, and for Gail, and, and everyone uh, and the, the woman who's 
that's functioning at the at the uh, switchboard right now for and all of the people who are listening Michelle. and contributing their conscious Michelle yes thank you but for everyone on the call to actually participate and know that each one of us makes a difference if we care even if we're silent but if we open our hearts when we're listening and we care we do make a difference so I know that to be a fact, and I'm so grateful, sure. uh, Michael, for this phone Yay. call. Hey, be the space. We're we're delighted to join you in being that space and making that difference. That's what the world needs for sure. So thanks right. for acknowledging it and reminding everybody about it. You're welcome. Cool. All right. Well, Michelle, do you have another caller? Hey. on the line. Hey, Michael, it's Shelly. Hey there, young man. How do you be? I be fabulous. Hey, I just wanted to – I've had a lot of David and Goliath come in, into my life lately, and yet, I'd like to touch on yesterday that, that that David sensed when he was talking to Saul before killing Goliath that Saul was getting uneasy with David because he thought that David was going to take over his kingdom. And, and David went up to Goliath and killed him with the very – they were small pebbles, and he killed them with the first pebble. And really, that that is when David's trouble started after killing the giant, because that's when Saul started trying to chase him down and kill him. So that was just the beginning of Saul. That was when that was when David's issues started. So it's not over when we kill the giant. It might just be starting. That Absolutely, was my it's when you open the space to start to dissolve the non-being mind. And then the work of handling a thousand generations of non-being thought and feeling becomes the process. So you're right. It is just the start. That's all I wanted to say. Cool. Thank you for that yesterday. All right. Fabulous. Glad to be on the team, my friend. Look forward to seeing you in just a couple of weeks. Yes. Yes. Maybe we can call early. Maybe we can come a little earlier if you like to help set up. Absolutely. That'd be fabulous. You'd be okay, welcome. call me later if you like. Okay. Take care. Blessings. All right, yeah. All right so uh, we're down to the last uh, minute and a half or so. Gail, any any other thoughts to share? I thought and Shelley's analogy was perfect. It it starts it <laughs> it's not all over after you kill the giant. That's perfect. The work needs to continue. Yeah. <laughs> it's the start. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> yeah, good insight. Good insight. Dr. Tim, any last minute thought? Just to echo the gratitude for this community and the space to keep working. Yeah, I have such gratitude for the community and and I also want to express my gratitude to Yeshua for what he gave us in the first century Aramaic. And, and then, you know, so that's a 2000 year old grateful for. And then the most current is that we have this technology that we can do that. You know, here's Gail in Illinois and Dr. Tim in Chicago and Michelle in Michigan and, you know, call from Hawaii. And I'm not sure where Shelly is at this moment, but just, you know, that we can gather and have this kind of conversation is awesome. 
And I join you in creating the best year yet of your eternal life. Blessings. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the Internal Aramaic Process of Forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael, myself, or Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org. A-G-A-I-N dot org.